0: Ron and Anian. Volkswagen's in trouble again. Well, not really again. It's still continuing.
1: What do they have under the hood? Set a tire. (laughs) They knew how to make them, didn't they? A spare engine in the trunk in case the tire malfunctioned.
0: The car doctor. If Volkswagen, if the car comes in for an emissions test, and we test the emissions through the OBD two port or however we're going to do it. How will we know if the car is fixed? Because if the car has been put in test mode, how how will you know? Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since nineteen ninety-one, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls. At 855-560-9900. And now, here's Ronnie. Hey, come on in. Sit down. Ronnie and and the car doctor at your service at 855-560-9900. The car doctor is always ready. Stand by. Got to go to it. Phone number 855-560-9900. That's where I am at, and I am at that here loud, now live, Saturdays 2 to 4 um, Eastern Time. Uh, Like Tom Ray says, my mouth is always important if it actually works and says something. But um, 855-560-9900 is a 24-7 number, which is what I'm sort of stumbling along trying to explain to you uh, as I welcome you here today, this hour, that that number is there. If we are not live on the air, you can call and leave a message and be glad to talk to you via Harry, our executive producer. We'll call you back and put you in the lineup and But uh, it for the next show, as we have broadcast every Saturday, 2 to 4 p.m., out on the network. There's more information about this radio show, Cardoctorshow.com. There's podcasting available there. Also, via the usual suspects and usual places, TuneIn.com, iHeart.com, iTunes.com. And if you need me during the week, Ron at Cardoctorshow.com. But I have to warn you, if you email me, and I have the time and I'm so inclined, and it might happen late in the day, it might happen early in the morning, I have been known to pick up the phone from time to time, and I've left people around the country voicemail messages, and um, then I've got an email back, oh, my gosh, what a surprise. You know what? I'm here to fix your car. It's not that big a deal. I just happen to be lucky enough to be a mechanic that somehow got onto radio to talk to you about it, and that's all this radio show is really about, solving your car problems. That's why I always say 855-560-9900 is the place to be if you want to get your problem solved. Other people want to get their problem solved, and I've I've learned that over the time. Um, repeat performers at the shop, repeat customers have come back, and I say performers because it 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 seems that some of these cars just want to be discussed. I think the cars are as 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 big a ham as I am sometimes. Two thousand one Chevy Lumina, Ken. Ken's a good customer, good guy too. I, I I know him on a bit of a personal basis, and I enjoy conversation with him. He brought me his daughter's. He's driving. A, she's driving a 2001 Chevy Lumina with just under 210,000 miles on it. Well, actually, it has more than 210 now, for the reasons I'm about to tell you. It came in in January initially. It had a slew of codes. Some of them were EGRs. Some of them were transmission. Some of them were secondary air pump. And just too many to count, roughly seven, if memory serves me correct. And I narrowed down the faults and eliminated the possibilities, fixed the hardcore ones, because we're just trying to you know, get it through to the next point where we have to get it through and so on. You don't want to put a pile into it, but you want to keep it safe and you want to keep it reliable because, as Ken and I talk about, we think the, and I do, I know Ken does, that the, the older cars, if you get a good one, they're worth hanging on to because the newer cars aren't really that much better. It's difficult problems, different types of problems, more electronic problems and there's still a pile of money, so repairing that car really becomes sometimes and usually the best option. It came in this week with a P1404 and a P0135. The 135 fault was for the upstream or the pre-catalytic converter O2 sensor. Insufficient activity. The onboard computer didn't see fast enough response time. It wants to see that O2 online within 29 seconds, and moving up and down high-low voltage. And it didn't, so it flagged at P0135. The, the The description's a little deceiving because the description describes what could just be a heater fault, and it may or may not be. It's really activity, but it's blaming the heater, It's trying to warm it up. The 1404 is EGR circuit. Now, I had put a brand-new AC Delco EGR valve on it back in January. Of course, new doesn't mean good. And at that time, I replaced the valve, cleared the fault code, drove the car. The car ran fine, let it go. So am I faced with a repeat problem and something different, or am I faced with two completely different issues? Sometimes you don't know. The 135 was the first one I tackled. That was easy enough Walked it through on a scan tool, looked at O2 sensor activity, shot a little propane, it was alive. But I could see that it didn't meet that 30-second window of activity. It was sitting there, and it probably took the better part of 45, almost 48 seconds for that sensor to really do what it's supposed to do. You know what? Time to put an O2 sensor in it. It's not hitting its peaks. It's not doing what it really needs to do. Well, i got to tell you, taking an oxygen sensor out of a 16-year-old Chevy Lumina that's lived in the Northeast all its life, Not a lot of fun. I don't think General Motors really had replacement in mind when they designed the car. Had to take the two motor mounts out up front, the two dog bones, rock the motor forward, and put a 2 by 4 between the back of the motor and the firewall just to keep it in position long enough that I could finally soak and heat and work free the O2 and get it out. Of course, then I had to tap and run a tap through the manifold threads and clean it up and get the new sensor in. Straightforward enough. The 14.04 was interesting, the EGR fault. The 14.04 said that it was seeing a reported error message for the EGR position. And it measures it in percentage from zero on up. This EGR value was reporting 23%, so it saw a 23% error value. But after some more research and digging, because it seems like you're always digging, you're always... You're always looking for more research to solve a problem regardless of how long ago you worked on it. This was just three, four months ago. Didn't see it then, didn't find it then, but found a bulletin that talks specifically about a 1404 being the result of improper software calibration in the PCM. In other words, a 16-year-old car still needed to have a software update. That's how important software and flash files are and will be going forward. We're fixing a 16-year-old car with software. The other side of the EGR problem with that particular Lumina was that it needed an EGR valve connector. The black wire pin B, second one in the top, second one in the middle actually, didn't have a good solid ground, a good solid connection, I should say. And it's important to note that improper connection at that ground leg, which is controlled by the PCM, will produce improper results. Bottom line, yeah, the car is fixed. What fixed it? Well, the EGR connector and the reflash seem to take care of the EGR, and the O2 fixed the O2. But I told you that story to show you and demonstrate this one. 2007 Chevy Trailblazer came into the shop this week also solve that car's particular problem, oil change and some ignition work put it out front, customers showed up and of course it had to be my kid's sister because you know nothing says love like your family when they come to pick up their car and and Diane's a good sport I should I should I should actually demonstrate that and say I, I appreciated the fact that and probably because I'm her big brother but still she paid for it, picked it up, went outside she comes back in she said. The power seat doesn't work. Huh. It worked when I moved it. Went outside. Couldn't get the power seat to work worth a darn. Leave the car. I'll look at it tomorrow. Looked at it the next day. Long story short, hooked up a scan tool, factory scan tool, tech 2 And using the scan tool, I was able to bidirectional directional control the seat make the seat move forward, make the seat move backwards, something the switch wouldn't do. But you could hear the switch turning the motor on, just that the seat never physically moved. It was almost as if the power seat control module was in lockup. It had gone into a logic lockup. Disconnected the scan tool. Sure enough, the seat now worked normal. Talking to her, she said, you know, I should mention, about a month ago, it happened to me just like that. The seat locked up. I couldn't get it to work. She said, I don't remember what I did. And then all of a sudden, it started working again on its own. Great. A challenge. I need that. I don't have enough of that. A lot of research later, and looking through a couple of databases and and looking for some rather old GM bulletins and just looking at all the files. And you can imagine how many bulletins there are on some of these cars came across a particular bulletin that talked about a production change that the engineers found in December of 2007. She purchased the car September of 2006. I'm sorry, in, uh, yeah, in September of 2006. In December of 2007, they had a production change on the seat assemblies. They found that some of the early models had defective seat assemblies, that at some point it would affect the forward and rearward movement of the power seat. They want you to put a new seat frame in the car. And the real bottom line is that fixing cars is very much so removed from nuts and bolts and screwdrivers and wrenches. Yeah, you need those, but more essential today, you need computers, you need software, you need the ability to flash, and you need the ability to research. That's what the techs need. The consumer needs to realize that part of what you're paying for on a proper diagnosis is some research time. Like I always say about Einstein, Einstein always talks about research and he always said, there's nothing wrong with admitting you have to do research, not even I know everything. And I might be paraphrasing that, but you get the point. Don't be afraid of research in a diagnosis. Be afraid of the mechanic that says, I know everything. I can fix it without having to look it up. I don't do that, and I don't admit to that at all. 855 I'm Ron Anady, the car doctor. We'll be back to kick open the garage doors right after this. any the car doctor here. By the way, and I should point out, the real thrill of the Lumina was it had to go through state inspection. And you know, it's interesting how monitors work, you know, the self-test that the computer has to go through in in order to to pass inspection in a lot of states OBD2 inspection. Put almost 80 miles on that car trying to get the cap monitor to run and just lots of time. So it it, it just seems like there's easier ways there's easier ways to do it, so. But anyway, let's kick open the garage doors and uh, let's go over and talk to Walt in Maui, Hawaii. Walter, how are you, sir?
2: I'm good, thank you.
0: Oh. Wait for the drum roll. There we go. Hey, Walt, how are you? We had to welcome you in. You know, you're um, you're like family now here on the show. <laughs> yeah, like I said. So you're
2: I'm getting a bill from the union have to have point or something i've been on so much yes yeah,
0: so you'll have to file a grievance with hr i can't help you okay <laughs> so um what's going on what can i do for you
2: well my question today is about your show on april the 17th i believe it was you mentioned resetting a chrysler jeep uh computer by using a 10 ohm impedance wire between the battery cable okay And i don't know what that is and i was wondering I have, you know, the Chrysler van that I have, I think, has pretty much that same computer. I was wondering if you could tell me what that is and how to do it.
0: Okay, sure. Yeah. Um. In a lot of cases, car computers have to be rebooted. They, they go into what I call logic lockup. They're They're stuck. They, you know, they process information just the way a desktop computer processes information. Um, I've seen this on everything from power steering seat modules to power window assembly modules to engine computers. And basically, you've got to take power away from the computer. You've got to reboot it because, unfortunately, even in the event of turning the ignition off, there's still a certain amount of memory that is retained in modules, and there's voltage to the majority of them. So we'll do, from time to time, on certain cars exhibiting certain symptoms, maybe in this case a crank no-start, or in the case of that Jeep, it was a no-crank no-start. There was no activity on the solenoid feed coming out of the ASD or automatic shutdown relay. So I did a reboot, and what I did was I purchased on the outside a 10-ohm, 1-watt resistor and took a jumper lead. Cut it in half, soldered the resistor in, heat shrunk it, made it nice. All right, and I actually tagged it. I actually put a, a P-touch label tag on it, so I never forget what it is because it's taped up and it'll just look like a lumpy wire if I forget. Uh-huh. And basically, what I do with that is, well, can you imagine if I didn't realize which jumper lead I and I picked an odd color um, out of my assortment, so that I, you know, it's I only have one of that. But can you imagine if I picked this resistor wire and I used it to run? voltage test or something, how it would skew my my, my readings. And it's the idea that you're going to disconnect both battery cables, positive and negative, and put that jumper wire in between the cables. And the reason the resistor is there is, think of it as a shock absorber for the system, all right? Instead of creating what you might think of as a dead short across positive and negative, you're putting a little bit of a resistance value so it's a slower bleed. It doesn't bang, all right? It's a more casual drop-down, and it allows the computer to discharge safely so that you don't hurt anything because we have seen the process of disconnecting the cables and just touching the cables together create computer issues on certain cars, so we're just playing it safe, all right? Ten minutes of of that with an impedance wire, uh, hook the cables back up, start the car up, and, you know, hopefully it starts and then go through a normal process of, you know, drive, drive cycle. Um, not emissions drive cycle, but normal conditions drive cycle. All okay. Right? And depending upon the car, how smart the car is, how new the car is, its ability to learn different values for different drivers will change. But it's the idea that, you know, the average, the average reset drive cycle, if I can say it like that, is start the car up. Two minutes of idle in the driveway, two minutes with the air conditioning on, put it in gear around the block, up the hill, 30 miles an hour, 40 miles an hour, Decel, accelerate to 50, Decel, take it out to the highway, 55, 60, bring it back, and, you know, that's it. You're done. AC on, AC off. You're trying to show it the extent of its normal operating values.
2: And It should reset all of those. Uh, right, it's,
0: right. Its parameters or its operating characteristics are going to be reset. The newer the car, the more parameters there are. And the newer the car, there's transmission characteristics that'll get involved too.
2: Now, let me ask you, Ron is, would this be accurate on other cars, or is this just uh, specific to the Chrysler? All uh,
0: cars. All cars, Walt. Yeah. yeah, all cars. We do this. So we, on, we, we do this on just about everything that rolls into the shop at any one given time.
2: Okay, one. Well, I mean, that's a Radio Shack type item. I, I yeah, it.
0: Radio. Actually, what I did was I went out on Amazon, and mm-hmm. I just I just plugged in a uh, ten ohm, one watt resistor. And I and I think well, I, me. I,
2: here in Hawaii, Amazon is our general store.
0: Right, right. And I and I believe I own. I, I believe I I now own a five pack. Uh, five individuals, and I made up two wires, and I've got three in the draw for the next time.
2: And you have them with weird colors, so you won't yeah. mistake. Right, correct. So, and I have them. Oh, right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that today and get that. I, not that I've needed it, but it, since I have the Chrysler product right. now, you never so, know. But like I said, it's
0: Chrysler, end. it's Ford, it's GM, it's, it's all of them, Walt. So don't, uh, don't think it's just the Chrysler thing. All right, buddy. You
2: have enough time for another
0: question. I'll tell you what. Stay on the line, and I'll come back. Um, I don't want to cut you short. I know it's uh, two for a nickel today. Eight five five I'm Ron Aney and the car doctor. We're back right after this. The car doctor rolling along at eight five 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 six zero nine nine zero zero i should point out we're giving away a we have a giveaway this week um not just this hour but this week i'm not sure if we're doing it this hour or next hour um it's sort of up to fast harry so when you do call in be nice to fast harry the decision of harry the judge is final it's a Wix diecast giveaway um we've done this before it's a great little 118th scale 1939 ford hot rod ford coupe hot rod and it's a replica of really the ultimate american car everybody wants a hot rod It's got full moon discs. It's got an opening hood and and trunk, white wall tires, Ford flathead engine. And um, it comes to us courtesy of the nice folks at WixWixFilters.com. We do know that they make the best filters in the world for all kinds of machinery, and now they make some pretty neat little hot rod cars, too. So get out to WixFilters.com for all info about product and the uh, hot rod giveaway car. And um, let's get back to Walt in Hawaii. I want to go to Hawaii. I've been to Hawaii twice today. How do you like that? Walt, are you there, sir?
2: Yes, sir, I
0: am. Second question, two for a nickel.
2: Okay, well, quickly, you know, I won the Wicks uh, hot rod here last year or something and I love mine. I have it in my collection.
0: That's right. Yeah, that's right. I remember that. Now, sure. Yeah. Um and,
2: I, uh, I can't uh, the tell question you it
0: is. Harry wanted to know if he could get in that car, so when he when it got there, he would be in Hawaii and I told him no, he just wouldn't fit, but um
2: Yeah, um, it would
0: have been tough. Yeah, it would have been tough. So anyway, your second question
2: is I have a uh a Probe 3 and you were mentioned on that same show that uh that there's uh certain times that it's not appropriate to use it what what my question would be um w- since i have it i feel i underuse it and i was wondering when it is what the what when, when would be the best opportunity to use it and to get the correct information from your diagnosis
0: i don't use it where computer circuits are involved unless i'm absolutely sure of what i'm doing all right I mean, it's a great tool. The Power Probe 3, for anyone not familiar with it, provides power and ground in various places. It's got a meter built in uh, in in the face of it, correct? Yours yours has the uh, liquid crystal display meter built into it, Walt. Yeah. Um, You know, I use one in the shop, and I, I like the tool. I'm just cautious with it. I've heard some horror stories about people using it inappropriately. I've never seen it, and I take it at face value because believing everything I'm told unless I actually see it and experience it, You know, it's like arguing with somebody over the Internet. It can become a fruitless uh, uh, pursuit. (laughs) So that being said, where have I used it recently? I had a, matter of fact, a Chrysler product that came in, and it wasn't turning over the starter. Matter of fact, it was the Jeep that we were talking about just before, where it wouldn't turn over the starter. There was no feed out the ASD, out the automatic shutdown relay, to provide signal to the starter solenoid. So I located which leg of the relay was the feed down to the starter. I provided 12 volts using the power probe right down that pin, and I got the engine to crank. So I knew it wasn't the starter. I knew it wasn't the circuit. I knew it wasn't the connection, and that's what brought me back to the ASD and to this side of the circuit. Obviously, anything to do with taillights, headlights, any place I'm looking for power is a voltmeter, it's very handy. The thing I like about it is, once I hook it up to battery, which can be a problem on certain cars because batteries are not always under the hood anymore. They're sometimes inaccessible, and then I have to, yeah. be, I have to be careful what test point I'm going to to make sure that that ground lug under the hood, which is a, a point of contention for me, they give you a ground lug under the hood to attach a meter to, and sometimes it's corroded and dirty, and it, 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 it doesn't help the case. So, you know, that being said, if I can get to the battery, positive and and, and negative, I can use it. It's nice, long leads. It'll run around the car, forwards, backwards. I can use it for all manners of that. I've used it to activate wiper motors. I've used it to run power window motors. Great for power window motors. Up and down, you can provide your own ground. You can provide power. Does the motor work? Yes or no. The motor doesn't work. Bad motor. Motor does work well, then maybe I've got a problem in switcher wiring or something leading up to it at that point. That's appropriate. Would I use it to activate or provide ground to a canister vent solenoid? Probably not. Not unless I disconnected it off of the solenoid and just provided ground while power came from the vehicle, only because, and I'm giving this as an example, in a lot of cars the ground leg of a canister vent is powered, or is ground, sorry, is grounded through the PCM. So I I wouldn't want to take anything that has the ability, you know, imagine this, Walt, you're working on the car, you're about to touch that ground lead to the vent line, it's plugged in and it's feeding back to the PCM, and your wife comes out and says, Walt, telephone, and you get distracted, push the button the wrong way, and then you send power up that ground leg. What could happen? So uh, you're going back to a computer with 12 volts that doesn't necessarily like to see that in all cases. So I'm a little cautious on things like that.
2: So that, Okay, that helps me a lot, Ron. Thank you a lot. All right. I mean, uh, you know,
0: they have some great videos, YouTube channel stuff that you can see. And, you know, maybe as I use it more in the shop... Um, I don't use it a whole lot. I haven't had the need, but maybe as I use it more in the shop, we'll do a couple of videos on our own in the future. I can't promise, but uh, okay. you know, But it, it is a good tool. I like the tool. All right, sir?
2: Okay, thank you, sir, and You're... aloha to you, and come visit sometime.
0: Thank you, Walt. We'll, we'll take, we might take you up on that. Now I've got Harry looking up uh, cruise ships, but uh, we'll get there. Walter, take good care. Tom? Yo, yo. Yo, yo. I think it's uh, time for our Facebook Car Doctor T-shirt giveaway of the week, is it not? Yes, it is. And yeah. this question comes from Frank Hammer. Okay. Who asks Ron, he says, you know, Ron, I've listened to your show for many years, and I now
1: listen via podcast, and I know you don't like Subaru. Actually, that's Volkswagen. But I also know your first rule is buy what you like. Anyway, the owner's manual for my 2016 Forester indicates that the first coolant chain should be in 11 years or 137,500
0: miles. That sounds like a recipe for disaster to me. If coolant's gotten that good, and what would you recommend for a coolant change interval? Well, I think where the coolant would last 11 years and 137,000 miles, I think that exists. It's just not here because this is the real world. I said, you know, I think in fantasy land that's possible, and I think that's what the engineers are going under. Well, either that or you'd find that in the junkyard, the one in the junkyard, you know. Right, because for a company that just 10 years ago was known for head gasket failures from poor cooling system issues. I find it amazing that they actually have the nerve to stand up and say, now you don't have to change the coolant for 11 years. I actually read a couple of bulletins from Subaru, and it's not that I don't like them. they're, They're an interesting company the way they think. There's more than a few bulletins out there from Subaru that talk about their fear of cooling system exchange service using a machine that has other coolant in it for fear of contaminating the Subaru system. Now, why is it that Subaru, and I've never got an answer from anybody, and maybe I don't have the right to ask this question, but I want to know why is it Subaru is the only car company I've ever seen issue that bulletin? Why are they the only ones that have a problem with contaminated coolant? Listen, let's be honest. Do you think everybody that hooks up a coolant machine to a Ford product flushes it and gets out all the old coolant of whatever it is they were flushing before? before? In most cases, no, and even if you try, you can't get 100%. Subaru mandates it. They don't want any cross-contamination. So to answer the question, Frank, if it were me, I would be testing that coolant every year using a dip strip, using w- w- which is basically what it is. It's a dip strip. It's the idea of a, the litmus paper test we all did in high school science where we're looking to see when the coolant turns acidic and when the coolant loses its freeze point protection. And I would probably consider replacing that coolant at the five-year mark. I'm just being cautious. You know what? If I'm spending an extra $150, $200, so you don't have to replace head gaskets prematurely or you don't have an engine problem prematurely, so be it. Better to be safe than sound. I agree with you, Frank. It sounds like a recipe for disaster. Hey, if you got a question for the car doctor, you want to win a car doctor T-shirt, get out to our Facebook page, Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor, and ask a question. If we pick your question from that page, use it up here on air. We do this the same time each hour each week. You'll win a Car Doctor T-shirt. It'll be heading your way. Frank, send me a line, ron at cardoctorshow.com. Give me your address. That shirt will be out the door Monday morning. 855-560-9900. Ron and and the Car Doctor. We are back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and The Car Doctor, rolling along this hour. You know, in 1993, the National Automotive Technology Competition was created, and it's brought together the nation's best high school automotive technicians. And I always talk about where the technicians of tomorrow, and it's going to be gentlemen like the next two that we're about to have on, Jonathan O'Neill and Devin Bialik from Connecticut. And they are the winners up here in this part of the country. And we thought we'd have them on a little bit to look at the technician and talk about the technician of tomorrow. Because I want to retire, and uh, it's nice to know guys like this are are out there on the up and coming ranks. Guys, welcome. How are you today?
1: Good. How are you? Good.
0: Good. I'm not. I'm not sure which I'm talking to. Do we, do we have both of you on the same line? Or are we on extensions? Or how are we doing this?
1: Uh, we're both on the same line. We're on a okay. house line right now. We have two different phones.
0: Okay. So let me talk to Jonathan first, I guess. Jonathan. Yep. Um, you're you're you've won a contest about fixing cars at the national level. You guys are going to New York. In a couple of weeks, right? Or has that already happened?
1: Uh, That already happened. We did win, we won our state competition in Connecticut. And then we went to the New York International Auto Show and won that competition there, facing um, the top other 29 teams across the country.
0: So you guys are the national winners.
1: Yes sir. Yes sir. Well,
0: congratulations to both of you.
1: Thank so, you.
0: Devin, what got you interested in cars? I mean, you know, I know. Listen, I was interested in cars at my age. I'm curious what made you tick. What what made it happen for you?
1: Um. Well, when I was younger, um, you know, I always played with, uh, you know, Matchbox cars, Hess trucks, and other little cars. But when it really started, uh, I was in eighth grade, and my grandfather had a '57 Thunderbird, uh, the y lock V8 in it. And we did a full build on that. And after that, um, when I was 14, I had bought a 1999 Mustang Cobra. And from there on out, it was uh,
0: just cars. Yeah, it just cars. It just made just made you tick. I often think, I tell people, they say, "What do you like about cars?" I said, "To me, it's like a piano. I can look at it. Some people think it's just a bunch of keys, black and white. I look at a car under a hood, and I can, I just get it. Oh, yeah. or, um, you, you know." And uh, Devin, same thing for you.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, sometimes I don't always get it, yeah. um, but uh, the fact of figuring it out is the most fun part.
0: All right, Jonathan, what do you love about cars? Uh,
1: you know, I think a lot of people are like me, and they just can't put a finger on it. They just like it, and I just like them. Yeah. They're just interesting.
0: Now, both of you are currently working in a dealership, correct?
1: Uh, John's about to be. I'm not yet. Okay. I'm, uh, I'm cutting off for a little bit. Yeah. Um, I won the Skills USA state competition, and I have nationals now in June, so I don't really have time. I'm right. staying after school and whatnot. Right,
0: right, right. Um, are you going to go to trade school, either one of you, or are you going to work right away?
1: We have a, we have a bunch of full tuition scholarships. We already go to a trade school. Um, our high school is a trade school, but we want we a bunch of full tuition scholarships through the New York competition, um, so we have a lot of thinking to do on where we want to go next.
0: Well, let me, let me tell the two of you. You know, when I started doing this, it was nuts, bolts, carburetors, points, distributors, in advance. Right. Um, all, all I can tell you is keep studying, keep reading, don't give up. Uh, it's going to change radically. Um, I'm probably more excited for you guys than you guys are because I know what kind of change I went through. And I would be willing to bet by the time you finish your careers, uh, we really might have flying cars for the masses. It'll be interesting. Yeah, um, for sure. Uh, so you guys are going to see some really neat stuff uh, in the coming years. Listen, the clock's going to grab me. I wish we had more time, but we're going to keep your names on file. We're going to talk again, maybe monitor your progress as you guys move along. But stay on the line. I want to make sure Fast Harry gets your information. We're going to send you out a couple of Car Doctor T-shirts, and uh, we, uh, we appreciate you guys for your effort, and I wish you the best of luck in the years to come. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. And um, by the way, I should mention, if there's any dealers out there looking for these guys, they're the nation's next best technicians. Uh, give us a call at 855-560-9900. I'm Ron Anany in The Car Doctor. I'll be back right after this. You have me- Welcome back. What I'm meaning, the car doctor boy. You know, it's it's got to be exciting for those those two kids. You know what they're going to see in their careers and how technology is going to change. Um, let me demonstrate it like this, Tony. How you doing? Good, babe. Can you hum? Hmm. Okay. Well, that's enough. Um, <laughs> and, and the reason I say that to demonstrate the point. Have you seen the new commercials from Verizon? They're talking about the Verizon hum. Yes, I have. Look at the technology that's here. Right. Uh, you know, here's somebody, not Tony. You're you're like a you're like a layperson when it comes to cars. You really don't understand what's going on. Not that much, no. Right. So here's a device that's going to plug into the OBD2 port. All right. So mm-hmm. it's going to plug in under the dash. It will tell you what the check engine light means. It will tell you uh, when it's time to go in for an oil change. It will help you connect hands free to the car in some situations. It can also give you the ability that if the car is doing something, it doesn't start, it doesn't run right. You can call a mechanics hotline. It's all subscription service through the Verizon Hum. It's and, called common sense. How can you? Why do you have to install
2: that in this setting and, set and common sense?
0: Right. It's it's well. Why? Because how are you going to call a mechanics hotline without a device to tell you where to where to find somebody? This is going to do it for you. It's going to okay. it's going to automate the process. Well, I know where your where your um, your shop is at. Well, for you, but not everybody's not for got the access. Joe, okay. Right. For the average for the average Joe. Um, so I just want to let you know that you might hum more in the future. Okay. Uh, especially, I, especially if you start driving. I want a royalty check. You want a royalty check? If I'm gonna do that for every every if, car in America. If you're gonna hum. Yes. What, 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 well, oh, I see. So you're gonna become the person that hums for the car. Yes. Actually, it's the device that hums, Tony. Not oh, okay. Yet, so. Want to know where Tony's uh, OBD2 port is located? So I can't imagine. <laughs> uh, I can't imagine. So, but um, yeah, we love you, Tony. Um, Tony. And I chose Tony out of the crew because Tony is probably the least bit of a car person that we 've got, and it 's just interesting to look at the technology and see what they 're coming up with and it 's changing in leaps and bounds. it really is, and the Verizon hum is just the tip of the iceberg they 're going and what they're getting it to do now they're they 're going to improve upon that in the coming years. I really envision the day and we 've got it now. But not for the masses, and not for every car, and that's what the Hum will do. I really envision the day you're going to take this, a device like the Hum, push the button. I want dinner reservations. Where's the nearest three-star, four-star restaurant, whatever the case might be? And bang, okay, call them up. I want reservations, concierge service, the whole nine yards. The technology that's coming to cars, and we need kids like Jonathan, and uh, um, I'm sorry, Devon to fix them. It's just that important. I'm Ron Anady and Annie, the car doctor. The mechanics aren't expensive. They're priceless.